Hey guys, welcome to my podcast Mind Maps, where each episode we will be traveling to a new destination on our mind maps, whether it be the mind of a friend that has started a nonprofit to a teacher with a YouTube channel. My last question for imposter syndrome for you is how can we help those suffering from this syndrome? Yeah, so really kind of from like the institutional standpoint, I think a lot of schools can kind of make themselves more aware of the issue. Mm -hmm. Um, I think mental health just in general is definitely not looked at enough at a lot of schools. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, like you could have like maybe like a dozen programs, but if nobody like knows about how to access them or if they're not affordable for students, then I don't necessarily think that a college should go about, you know, touting that they have great mental health infrastructure. But I think a lot of them do. They go about more so with quantity rather than with the quality and efficacy of their systems that they have in place. And I think that's really, you know, kind of problematic for students. Um, for example, I'm just going to, you know, like draw kind of like personally, I suppose, but mm-hmm. like University of Michigan, like in terms of like mental health, um, the wait times are atrocious for if you want to go and get like mental health services through like their student organized like things which are you know like free or low cost to students the wait times could be anywhere from like if it's like a peak time which is you know most of the time academically um but especially like around like finals and things like that it's somewhere around like two months of a wait time and when someone's having you know maybe like suicidal ideation or really really bad imposter syndrome or you know feelings and stuff like that Um, I think that that's just honestly an unacceptable amount of time for someone to wait to get help. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people also, I think, based on like their family and their communities and stuff like that, they might not feel comfortable going to their family and talking about, you know, maybe how they're feeling or that they need to get help. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of times when they go to colleges, they are relying, you know, on what kind of services they have in place for students that maybe won't inform their parents that they're going and, you know, maybe doing something on their insurance or stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. Plus, just in general, like, mental health services outside of, you know, those subsidized options, they can get very expensive. If you go for, like, a counseling session or stuff like that, it could be easily, like, hundreds of dollars out of pocket, right? Mm-hmm. And so for a lot of students, that's just not feasible. You want to, you know, encourage people, obviously, to, you know, take care of like your mental health and like prioritize mental health and, you know, take days off and stuff like that. But it's kind of a luxury for a lot of people. I think a lot of people don't necessarily realize that not everyone is able to just, you know, take a day off to, you know, do self-care and put on face masks and pretend everything's okay. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, I think from an institutional standpoint, definitely schools need to do a bigger part. I think also a lot of toxicity is kind of related to social media, kind of like what you were saying with like the TikTok and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. um, of that girl and her having to prove herself. She definitely made that TikTok in response to, you know, comments that she's received. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really horrible that a lot of people do still have that kind of opinion, even though it's been disproven like time and time and time again, Mm -hmm. that, you know, if anything admissions is actually not diverse. There is no such thing as, you know, um, diversity admissions being on, like, the side of someone that's, you know, 
underrepresented or a minority. It's usually on the flip side where someone is a legacy or very affluent or grew up in a very affluent community. It's mm -hmm. usually the opposite, if anything. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of schools have structures and programs and stuff that support those students more than students that would add diversity to a campus. And going back to what you're talking about, where, um, you know, some people talking to their parents is just not an option because um, it's just like something that their parents don't want to talk about. Like I know in the Asian community, at least, um, I feel like it's almost taboo to talk to your parents about mental um, issues or mental health issues because um, they just, I feel like they don't believe in that. Even my mother, um, she's suffered from like bipolar stuff and um she just tries not to admit it though like me and my father both are trying to tell her you know you need to like get a therapist or um just talk to somebody about it but she like doesn't want to admit herself that she's going through these things um and even if I were to talk to my parents about you know um if I were going through depression or anxiety they would definitely feel like it's an uncomfortable or touchy subject to talk about and they'd be like oh just go talk to your high school counselor or something about it and so I totally agree with everything that you've said about this um so just going into more of your mindset now, um, could, this is kind of a deep question, so I totally understand if you need like time to think and, or just you could say um, a simpler answer if you want. Um, but what is your greatest failure or regret and what did you learn from it? I don't really like to say that I have any regrets mm -hmm. because I think that at the time it was something that maybe I needed to recognize or change. So I would say that definitely I've had failures, but I don't necessarily want to say that I frame them as regrets. Mm -hmm. um, so in terms of failures, um, a lot, definitely. Um, like, for example, like even like when I was like applying to colleges and stuff like that, like my dream school was Harvard. And when I got, you know, mm -hmm. that rejection, um, you know, mm -hmm. like email and stuff like that, I was devastated. I was like, oh, I mean even getting into these other schools and stuff like that, like didn't necessarily like make up for it. I was like, I feel like I'm maybe like settling or didn't do enough or stuff like that, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I would say that that's like maybe like one of the times where I felt like I was a failure. I don't necessarily think that it was a failure because obviously like 5% acceptance rate, more people are failures than successes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't necessarily think it was like anything personal, but, um, uh, yeah, so I think that that was an instance for sure. And then even when I, you know, started college and stuff like that, I really struggled in some of my courses when I first started out because I was not prepared for really how to study. I was kind of always that kid that like breezed through things when I was in school. Mm -hmm. I never really felt like I had to put in a lot of work or a lot of outside time. Like people would pull all-nighters and I'd be like, I was done at like 6 p.m. Like, I mean... <laughs> I, I don't know, like it was just never something that I developed as a skill. And so when I had to actually, you know, develop it as a skill to actually study and like, you know, take time and like not be afraid of like asking questions or feeling like, oh, it's stupid to ask questions or not be sure about something because you're not always going to know the answer to something when you're learning it. Um, it was a big, like, very steep learning curve, I think, for sure, in, like, my first, like, semester, maybe even my first year. For example, like, I definitely got ahead of myself by taking, like, organic chem, like, as soon as I got on campus, right? Oh, yeah. And, like, that, I think, is, like, probably, like, one of my biggest, like, I guess we can call that one a regret. <laughs> um, 
because I think that you should only do things when you're ready to do them and maybe not when you think that you should be doing them because other people are doing them. Like, for mm -hmm. example, I had friends like from high school that also went to U of M or I had people that I had met like at orientation or like other friends and things like that. And because I saw that they were already taking these classes and stuff like that, I felt like I had to kind of be at the same pace as them, if mm -hmm. that's the way to phrase it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a mistake. You should always prioritize, you know, what's best for you at any time. Mm -hmm. You should always, um, first and foremost, think about what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. And mm -hmm. no one is going to be like a harsher critic on you than yourself if you're doing it correctly. No one has to necessarily know about like all of your weaknesses and stuff like that. You don't have to like air it out. But it is important for you to at least acknowledge what your weaknesses are because you're never going to be able to move past that and like, you know, do well in like a class or stuff like that. If you don't recognize that I'm weak on this, I need to do something about it. I definitely agree with that. Cause um, I remember, I think it was my sophomore year. Um, I took AP bio, but it wasn't because I necessarily wanted to, cause obviously I'm not going to be like um, doing some biology stuff during business. And cause I'm, I'm not trying to go into the bio field either. And the literally only the reason why I took this was because all my friends and everybody around me were saying, Anna, you've got to take at least one AP science class or else, you know, colleges aren't going to like it or whatever. Um, and so I was like, okay, fine, I guess I'll take AP bio. And so just going in with this mindset of like, yeah, I'm just taking it because all my other friends are. I struggled so much in that class because I mean, one, it wasn't something that I was passionate about at all. And like, I'm super bad at science and all this stuff in biology. And so it was just not a good time for me at all. So I totally understand that. Um, and yeah, just like do things that you personally are passionate about and that you think um you and like at your own pace if that makes sense and not just like what other people around you are doing so yeah I totally agree with that um and then my next question is kind of the flip side of this um so what are you most proud of that's a very nice question <laughs> optimistic yeah. uh, I don't know I honestly every time I like reflect on it I really feel like I have a lot to be thankful for um, I, and this is really sappy, I suppose, but I think it's really true. Um, I really feel like I've met like a lot of amazing people and they've really driven me to do great things as well, whether that's like mentors or friends. The friends are a great support system. If you don't have good friends, you need to find new ones, honestly, because friends are a major factor in you know encouraging you and on like the day-to-day -day basis saying like you can do this or mm -hmm. you're smart enough or stuff like that you know what I mean mm -hmm. um and it surrounding yourself with very driven people people that care about you and like genuinely and stuff like that um that just makes me you know just so happy and so you know content with the way that things are and stuff like that as well I think that's probably one of my like happiest things which is getting out of you know toxic friendships friendships where people only think about competing mm. or getting out of you know that sort of like toxic mindset that you always have to be doing something and you should never take time for yourself and stuff like that as well mm -hmm. and I think that definitely the friends and people that I met in college were very helpful in helping me to kind of recognize that and supporting me so I'm definitely most proud of my amazing friends and all of the people that I've met so far. Um, outside of that, obviously, if I had to say like concrete achievements, 
-hmm. obviously I'm proud about like all of the things that I do on campus like I do like research and it's like amazing I do like clinical research as well I get to ask people actually this is like my favorite thing but yeah. at a at the clinic that I um, volunteer at basically one of the studies they do is on um, so they're chronic pain patients basically basically and what I have to ask patients um, when recruiting them to clinical studies is one of our studies is on cannabis um, like medical marijuana and its relation to pain, chronic pain. Mm -hmm. And so I get to go in and ask them, what are your attitudes and opinions about weed, basically? And <laughs> just a really, you know, it's just a fun experience, brightens my day. I always get to hear some really fun, interesting stories. And going back to when you're talking about having a good and like supportive friend group, I totally relate with that. Cause I remember, I think it's when I started high school, I started hanging out with this kind of toxic group of people where it was just comp competition. And again, one up being each other. And so getting out of that and like actually finding a real supportive friend group really helped me so much. So I totally agree with having a really solid and supportive friend group is super crucial. Um, yeah, so also, my next question is what are your lifelong ambitions i think that definitely the ambition and like the end goal has always been there but i think definitely maybe the path has maybe changed so for example like um when i started out freshman year i was doing like biomedical engineering still pre-med but biomedical engineering and then i just realized that you know like biomedical engineering wasn't really a choice that i made for me it was a choice that i made because i felt like that was something that like suited my like intellect or like my passion and stuff like that mm -hmm. and it was considered to be like a very challenging field so obviously like my family was like yay we get to like brag about this you know what I mean yeah so I realized that I wasn't really necessarily doing it for myself I didn't really feel really drawn to it um like I said I'm not like I'm not super passionate about math so mm -hmm. like <laughs> so engineering was not definitely the the way for me and then I took like some like other classes and I really fell in love with like neuroscience and so that's like my major now and stuff like that um and then I pursue you know my other passions which is you know more stuff about like policy and like healthcare policy and stuff like that through my minor which is science tech and society which is just a minor at U of M um and then I also really always found it interesting like stuff about like SpaceX and like you know just space like in general so I have an astro minor as well um so I've just been able to kind of like pursue all of like my passions and stuff like that and all while obviously being like pre-med and applying to like medical school so when I first got you know into college I thought that I was going to go straight through basically which is to say that I would apply for medical school my junior year and the application process is like roughly a year in terms of like when you first get started and get all your grades sent and essays and everything versus when you actually like matriculate and start classes it's like roughly a year um so that's why it would have been like junior year but I realized that just like obviously like COVID is like a massive factor um, mm -hmm. I'm sure for a lot of people on taking like gap years and stuff like that but I think I really recognized that I also wanted to take a gap year, um, just, you know, spend some time, you know, doing stuff for myself, doing stuff for other people. I want to get more involved in like philanthropy, maybe mm -hmm. like e or like nonprofit work and stuff like that. Um, so that's definitely what I'm kind of looking towards doing. 
and then I will definitely be applying to medical school my senior year. Um, not like MD, PhD or like MD, MPH or stuff like that, probably just MD um, because it's already a lot of school anyway. Um, yeah. yeah, but yeah, so basically like I suppose like that's like the main thing in terms of like specialty and stuff like that. I always like toss around a couple of different ideas. I think like my latest one is that I want to do um, kind of reconstructive plastic surgery. Um, but obviously, I think that that's more so something that people learn about what they want to do and exactly what they want to pursue when they actually do it in medical school. Right. So I think very similarly to undergrad, that might change once I start doing other things and realize maybe there's not exactly what I want to do. Maybe I want to do this instead. Maybe I haven't heard of this, but it's something that I'm really passionate about now that I got to experience it. So I think it's just very important to keep an open mind on what you want to do. So definitely, obviously, like the ambition, I suppose, is to be a doctor, but the ambition is also to not just do like medicine and, you know, call it a day and just let like the, the money just roll in and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I actually still want to be involved in like philanthropy. I think like my biggest long term ambition is to um, give back to developing countries by building schools. Um, that's always been something that I wanted to do. Obviously that requires, you know, a lot of money and planning and infrastructure to keep it running, but that's definitely something I wanted to do. I just love how you're delving into all these different facets of things that you're interested in or passionate about and like that you're open to doing those things. Cause I know a lot of kids, at least at my school, I feel like they're all like hyper focused on what they want to do. You know, they're not like open to like trying anything else. I know one kid, especially it's also... I think the parents too, like their external influences on them, where um, this one guy, literally his mom had planned out his whole high school career, like from what classes he was taking to like if he was be- going to become like our DECA like president and things like this. He- she just somehow planned every single thing that he was going to do up to like, you know, what he should do as a job. And it's just crazy that he has, you know, no freedom in doing things that he's actually passionate about and delving into those passions. Whereas like, I love seeing how you are able to um, just freely, you know, um, learn about different things like, you know, plastic surgery or um, helping others through philanthropy and things like that. I love seeing that and hearing that. Um, Yeah. So just some more fun questions about you. I would love to know what the last book you read was. So um, I actually have read like a quite a few books, mostly because, you know, like quarantine and stuff like that. But Mm -hmm. um, I can like briefly talk about like a couple that I liked recently so I read one called The Gift of Fear I don't know if you've heard of that one at all oh, um, I, haven't. I think it's actually a very interesting book so basically what that book is about is um the author kind of approaches the idea of like innate like fear or like discomfort and stuff like that as an asset to when you are in a dangerous sort of situation for example like you know like as a woman sometimes like you know like it's dark outside and you're not in like the best neighborhood you're like oh this doesn't seem like to be like the best circumstance to be in right um and basically that book outlines everything about like psychologically like why that's a good thing Um, And basically how to notice, um, you know, signs of like deception or if someone has like bad intentions and stuff like that as well. 
I really, I think, you know, recommend it a lot for someone that maybe is looking to enhance a little bit more of like their emotional intelligence, especially in regards to maybe potentially problematic situations. He kind right. of goes in like a couple of different, like, um, I, I suppose like instances or cases that like he's worked on. Um, and for example, like some of them could be um, where someone was like, they had like a crazy ex that was like calling them all the time and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And he said like, for example, like the number one human thing to do would be to call them back and say, hey, stop bothering me. But the actual thing that you should do, for example, is to not respond at all, not even once, like quick cold turkey, don't say anything, no matter how much they try, how much they like email and text and whatever. Um, so I think that it's just really interesting because he, you know, kind of laid out all those different like circumstances and like what maybe your gut response to do isn't necessarily always the correct thing to do to get you out of like a, a tricky or like problematic kind of situation. So I thought that that was really interesting. And then another one that I read recently was, um, uh, the drama of the gifted child. So that one is kind of a little bit about, um, kind of it's like more of maybe a sort of a memoir per, not exactly per se because she doesn't frame it as a memoir but she talks a lot about her own experiences and she basically just says that a lot of children or people that like grow up and stuff might not recognize that maybe their childhood was traumatic um because a lot of times maybe you block off things and stuff like that that happened in your childhood but there's actually a rising prevalence in people that realize that they did have a traumatic childhood and that can even be from just like parents putting like a lot of pressure on you and stuff like that mm -hmm. um, especially like if you want to live up to like very very like stark or harsh expectations um that is like um something that she really like addresses in her book so yeah I think that those are like two very good ones. I would say also like, um, this is like a very cliche one in the like pre-med community, but mm -hmm. When Breath Becomes Air is an amazing book mm -hmm. as well. Um, that one is uh, from someone that um, he was actually dying. He's a doctor that was kind of, he was passing away as he wrote this book, he knew he was passing away. So he kind of like talks and reflects on everything that he kind of wish he knew or was she acknowledged um, before kind of he figured out that he was going to die. Um, so yeah, I think it's an amazing book. I think that'd be really interesting to hear too, how he um, turns into the patient in a sense, rather than the doctor in that scenario. That's really interesting. I think I'm gonna give that a read. Um, yeah, that sounds amazing. Um, and then my next question is, what was the best movie you've seen in the last year? Uh, I would say, I think like, cinematography is really huge to me like I'm mm. a really big like fan of like well done cinematography that has like maybe like a lot of like hidden like figurative stuff mm -hmm. so for me I thought Joker was like very well done mm. um in terms of like I, I don't know if like everyone does this but I usually do this when I watch like a very like um interesting sort of movie mm. I go on like YouTube and like look up like oh, what are, like, the intentionalities of maybe, like, the music or, like, yeah. the hidden things that, like, maybe you didn't realize about the movie that are actually, like, very cleverly done. Mm -hmm. And just from, like, watching those and watching the movie and stuff like that, like, you can tell, like, how much work they put into every single, like, scene, every single aspect, you know, mm -hmm. it's just very well done. I think, like, 
in terms of like recent movies, that would be like my go-to mm -hmm. in terms of like a recommendation of a very well done movie. I would say like my all-time favorite, <laughs> I think this is perhaps maybe like frowned upon by a lot of people, but I really liked The Great Gatsby. Oh. I also really liked um, mm -hmm. Django Unchained as well. I think I just like movies with Leonardo DiCaprio. I think that's the, I think that's the theme that we're seeing here. <laughs> but um, for The Great Gatsby, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, have you? I have not, but I'm totally fine with like spoilers or anything. Okay, yeah, for sure. So, um, uh, I, I really recommend it, like, to see and stuff like that. I think mm -hmm. just, like, the style of that director, Baz Luhrmann, I think I'm, I'm probably butchering his name, but mm -hmm. he did, like, Moulin Rouge, he did, like, Great Gatsby and all of those kinds of movies and stuff like that, mm -hmm. and he just has this kind of, like, style that's just very over the top, mm -hmm. so everything, like, the parties and stuff like that, you see, like, a million <sighs> happening in the frame at once and I think it's just really beautiful how he manages to like set the scene in such a way that you're really you know um kind of feel like you're there basically like it's just so like over the top and you really feel like you're immersed in kind of the story my last question for you is what do you just like to do for fun or just in your spare time other than um you know all the amazing things you've already done with general intelligence and all those different things yeah, for sure. So I would say like a couple of different things kind of kind of depends on the weather because Michi Michigan weather is just not always the most forgiving for like outdoorsy stuff. Yeah. Um, I like tennis like when it's actually like nice outside, which is like only, a, you know, a, a solid few amount of days in the year where it's not too windy and not too everything else. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I like tennis. I would also say like photography is really big for me too. Um, like architecture photography. I find that really fun. Um, and then definitely like huge foodie, massive. Mm. I love trying like restaurants and stuff like that with like my friends. I've tried like the better part of like all of the restaurants in Ann Arbor. Um, I actually like um, have like my own like blog for like food and travel and stuff like that. Mm. Um, so I do that kind of like just for fun. And also like it's been really great because like even like small businesses like local businesses in Ann Arbor mm -hmm. um we have like our kind of like informal like foodies group oh. and always like invite us and stuff to try out like their new menu items and like to give like kind of like our perspectives and insights and stuff and help them with kind of the social media marketing mm -hmm. um and that's been like an awesome experience like yeah. I love I love food but I love free food even more <laughs> um so that's been great and I also love bubble tea huge fan of bubble tea. There's like five bubble tea places in Ann Arbor, like alone. Mm -hmm. And one of the bubble tea places actually invited me and like a couple of like the other people as well to try out like their new like recipes and stuff that they're, you know, kind mm -hmm. of like piloting. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. I get to say I'm a bubble tea taste tester. <laughs> oh my gosh. I feel like that's like my dream to be able to have, you know, a food blog and just be able to have all these different businesses give you free food. Like, oh my, because I see these accounts, like, you know, um, I see accounts from like Ann Arbor and like they're just trying all these different food and just like seeing it, my mouth waters so much. And I was like, oh, I want to try it all. That's like amazing though, to hear that you get to do all these amazing things, um, for free too that's awesome and my final thing i always do these are just like brain teasers i think this one's kind of interesting so um if we were or when we finish the podcast episode um and you step outside and you find a lottery ticket that ends up winning a hundred million dollars what would you do 
I know what my gut response would be, which is definitely like, I'm going to spend some of it for sure. Because like, as much as I want to be like fiscally responsible, like retail therapy is very real. Um, okay, so I would say definitely like a, a solid chunk of it. I would go put it away and invest it in like things, maybe like real estate, maybe like I'll like diversify my portfolio or whatever that means. I keep seeing YouTube videos about like Roth IRAs and like diversifying your portfolio and stuff like that. And I'm like, I feel like I'm behind because I'm not saving any money. Um, so I'll definitely save some of it just to make sure that like, you know, um, I have something to fall back on just in case I spend all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And then I would say like a solid chunk would go to like student loans for sure. Mm. And then probably another chunk would be for like travel and stuff with like me and like my friends. Obviously mm. not right now specifically. Yeah. Mm. Um, that would be kind of like a delayed gratification. It would be in the future um, when things like clear up and everything's okay. Like I've always wanted to do like a trip um, just like me and my friends like a long trip kind of thing like I've mm-hmm. done like trips with my friends before like in like the U.S. like just mm-hmm. like to Chicago or like to like a national park or something like that but I mm-hmm. think it would just be so cool to like go like backpacking or something with like you know like like five or six of like your closest friends like that's mm-hmm. just like a life goal for me right. and like if I had like the money to do that and like make them like not worry about like paying for it I would definitely 100% do that mm-hmm. and then Oh, shoot. Yeah, I think travel would be, like, a huge one. I I really like traveling, and there's so much more that I want to see and do. I would definitely, like, just take, like, a year off and just travel. (laughs) And then, um, yeah, I think that I'd actually also finally have money to, you know, build those schools that I was talking about as well. So I'm on that, too. Definitely. Um, well, thank you so much, Magda, for being on the podcast. It was such a pleasure having you on. Um, and I don't know if you have any last notes or any plugs like for your Instagram, for your foodie Instagram thing, or for general intelligence, anything like that. Um, just give it a go. Hey, for sure. So I hate to be that person, but definitely you, know, you can follow me like on like all my socials. So mm-hmm. it'll be at general intelligences for Instagram. I'm sure you'll probably also like put this on the post and stuff like that. But yeah. yeah. Um, and then for my blog, um, it's at journey the destination. And mm-hmm. then my personal um, people always never know how to spell my name. So I guess <laughs> I'll just spell it out. It's Magda Voitara is how it's pronounced, and it would be M-A-G-D-A, and then W-O-J-T-A-R-A. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can definitely connect with me like on LinkedIn and stuff like that, too. I hope everybody that's listening up till this point um, learned a lot about, you know, just Magda and her mindset, and then also about imposter syndrome and how you could even possibly be suffering from it because you never know it's um yeah it's just amazing to bring awareness to all these different topics and yeah thank you for listening bye thank you guys so much for listening it means the world and i hope you guys follow the podcast and stay tuned for the next episodes